Westminster chapter 25. I've got it on the board. If you want it, there are hymnals in the back, but I'll put the particular passages or sections that we're studying today on the screen, if, if that's good enough for you. Let me open with prayer, and we'll begin. Our Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you that you're building it. We thank you that it's your church, not ours, that we're, we're stones in it, living stones, but that it's, you're the one that's the builder. You're the architect. And we are just those participants in it. And we thank you for the visible and invisible church. We thank you that we can study your word about it. And pray that you'd bless this time we have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to go through this. It's actually six sections on the church in the Westminster Confession. The first of which is on the board. So at the uh, expense of reading what you can already see on the board, like PowerPoint. People just read through PowerPoint, so we're not going to do quite that. But I am going to read through these so that we've all heard it and we've all read it on the screen. So here's section one of chapter 25 on the church. It reads this way, The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And you see the scripture references uh, below the, the text. So if we look at uh, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, it says that uh, Paul writes this, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then verse 22 follows in 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so what we see here is that the church, we've heard it, the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Christ has only one body. He doesn't have multiple bodies. Yes, there are individual particular churches like All Saints or Sycamore or the Anglican Church down the street, which preaches a faithful gospel. So there are multiple individual churches, but there's really only one body of Christ. But more so, I think it's important to know, and I want you to, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read that particular passage. It's a little bit longer passage, so if you would turn to it. I think it's important to know and put the context of the church back in Paul's time and the major change in the world which happened when Christ began to build the church and then you had the church expand to the Gentiles in the first century. So beginning in verse 11, and I would have somebody read it, but for the sake of the recording, I'm going to have to read all the passages, unfortunately. Paul writes this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what we see here is that as, again, this is base, base level foundational truth that the Jewish people, the Israelites, were the people of God from Abraham all the way to, to Christ. You had one people of God, which were the Israelites and those that would attach themselves to the Israelites over that period of 2,000 years. But what happened with Christ is Christ expanded the church to not only the Israelites, but also the whole world, whosoever would believe. And so what he's teaching them is that now there's this one body that, yes, the Jews and yes, the Gentiles, most of us in here are Gentiles and maybe some with Jewish blood, but there's still, this, there's not two peoples of God. There's one people of God. That's what he's saying, that he, the two become one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility because there was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. They, didn't get, they, didn't get, they saw themselves as really different, and Jews have wanted to have nothing to do with the Gentiles. And that's where you see much in, in the book of Acts is Paul having to deal with this problem, and also in many of the epistles, the fact that there is only one body of Christ, which is all of us, the Jews and the Gentiles. There's one building. There's one foundation, which is the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the cornerstone, and he's building this one people of God. And I think that today, one application of this for us is we tend to divide the church. We tend to think of, well, we're not those guys over there, wherever that might be, that are not, don't believe exactly what we believe, that, that there's a church here, there's a church there, and there's more than one church. Well, I think it's important to be clear that there is only one church of God, and that's the one that's being built by Christ, and that it says it's invisible. Also, I think it's helpful to see that the church is submitting to the headship of Christ, and this is compared to the headship of husbands to wives. And Ephesians 5 deals with this specifically about how Christ is the head of this church. And it says this, and I think Ephesians 5, 22 to 32 is really helpful to see. When you read this, to think about it in, in the context of the church, we tend to think about it in granular terms, meaning it's all about wives, it's all about submission, it's all about husbands. And really, that's not Paul's point. Paul's point is he's using these for, to help us understand how Christ relates to the church. And so, yes, there are important truths that we need to learn as husbands and wives from Ephesians 5, but really the, the, the overall, the art, overarching context is the church itself. I lost my computer. There you go. So if you want to turn to Ephesians 5 while I'm getting my, uh, getting, the, getting the screen back up, beginning in verse 22. 
Paul writes further, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, like I said, there's plenty to learn here as far as our interactions between husbands and wives and who submits and who obeys and all of these things. But the big point is we're all supposed to submit to Christ. He is the head. We are the members of the body. And we see here, this is interesting, that the focus of redemption is not so much on individuals, but it's on the church as his body. And as his body is not separated into multiple parts, Jew and Gentile, but one body with the head, Jesus Christ, this is a critical point to understand that Christ came to redeem the church. Yes, he came to redeem you and you and you and me, right? Us. But his view was, I'm going to redeem this people, this group, all through time. And this is where this church is described in in the um, first uh, portion here as invisible. Now, what does that mean? It's not invisible to God, obviously, right? But it is to us. And this is critical. The church are the people of God through all the ages, from the beginning of history until the end. So you have one people of God through all of the ages. And I drew some of my material from G.I. Williamson, who wrote a book on the Westminster Confession. And he points out this. It is this church the true church that manifests itself to the world as the visible church of God in various times and places. So it's important to note that the church that we see is a small portion of the whole church. What we see in our own framework, whether you're my age or one of the the teenagers, whatever age, we're only seeing a small portion of the overall church. That If you think about what Dennis has been preaching on in Hebrews 11, that it underscores the reality that we have this great cloud of witnesses in heaven that are part of this church that Christ has been building through the ages. So we have Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. And I think this, this is a side point, but I think it's important that I'm going to open it up if anybody has any comments or questions. That this blurring of reality of the true bridegroom and bride with, with homosexuality is striking at God's plan for redemption. Because the, if we think about Christ as the bridegroom, the church as the bride, that it's not only, it's, it's an attack on this truth because it, it basically erases the male-female comparison of Christ and the church. So it's kind of an interesting, if you see these things that are, these issues going on in our society, that really they're not an attack so much on individuals, although that may be, but it's really an attack on God and His plan. And first, further, 
that the visible church in the world is imperfect because even real Christians, the elect, we're all sinners and we don't live lives of perfect obedience. And so we have non-believers within the visible church. So we see that the, 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 what the result of that is is that the testimony that we have in the world is never perfect and thus it's subject to attack by the devil and the unbelieving world. So, and I'll, and I'll leave you with this and then we'll do comments. David said to Nathan, think about David's sin and the result of his sin. And oftentimes we focus on what happened to his family in, in 2 Samuel after he sinned with Bathsheba. But perhaps the biggest thing is where David says to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And David, Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that's born to you shall surely die. Our sins, when we commit them, give the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme. Now, David was a representative of God at that time, being the king. And so look at the damage that David did, not just to his own family, which got wrecked, but it was also the fact that people that were saying, well, look, if that's what a, a person that trusts in God is, what kind of God is that that would let somebody like that be his representative? And so we have to be mindful of that, that we are, as the salt and the light, we're also witnessing to the world that we're Christians, and that can have, much, to whom much is given, much is required. So with that, I'll stop and see if there are any questions or comments. That clear, huh? Okay. All right, well, let's talk about the visible church next. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal, we qualify that in our bulletin as an aside, under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion. Then you have the references. And is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, and out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. So all those who profess the true religion. Here you have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So what we see here is that if you look at the church in Corinth, it's called the church. So it's a legitimate group of believing, uh, believing Christians. But we also know when you read in Corinth that they had a lot of problems. And I think this is an important thing to remember is that we want a church that's perfect. I think all of us, and we get upset when the church is not perfect. But the reality is the church is never perfect. I was talking to someone the other day about church, and they're not happy with the church they're attending. And I said, well, when you, and he was, they was talking about, yeah, now I want to find a better pure church and I won't find one that's, that's faithful. I said, that's good. I said, but if you're looking for the perfect church, don't go there, right? Y'all know that? Young ladies, y'all know that? What happens if you find the perfect church? Don't go there. Why not? You'll mess it up. It won't be perfect anymore if you go there. So it's kind of the old joke that people, we want that though. And it's a, it's a fine line that we have to make. 
because we want a church that preaches faithfully, teaches faithfully, disciplines faithfully, and administers the sacraments faithfully. That's a good thing. But there's a, there's a line beyond which when, if you're always discontented because your church is never doing something the way you think it ought to be, then that can be problematic. And oftentimes you find, this has been in my experience, that people that are, have this really high bar of the church and they're never satisfied, they bounce from church to church. It's not uncommon because every church when you first go there says, great, love the preaching, it's wonderful. I don't like this much, but I love this and I love that. Well, then you start going there for a while and then you start seeing all the things about it. And so you have to always say, what are the marks of a, of a true church and where should I be worshiping? Does it align with what the Word of God says? So does anybody have any comment about that before I keep going? Everybody awake? Everybody awake? Okay, just checking. All right. So we're going to talk more about the marks of the church shortly. But it also notice this. It says, and their children, that the children are members of the church. Sometimes we've had some confusion about that. that yes, that there are communing and non-communing children, but that the children are part of the church. Notice Genesis 17, 7. God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Then Paul also says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. So children are part of the covenant. And I think when you start thinking about, about the church as a covenant community and think about life as a covenant, the children are not outside the kingdom until they make that profession of faith. They're still just like Adam, uh, Abraham's children. Esau was a child of the covenant. Think about that. He was, he was circumcised. Was he saved? No. But he was part of the covenant community. And then the last one here is for the promises for your children. This is Acts 2.39. Most of these should sound familiar. This is what Pastor Bullock or whoever the, 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 the minister says when they uh, administer baptism. For the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the children are part of the covenant community. And parents, you should be confident and pray for. And this is why we pray for the children of the, of the church. It's a blessing for your child to be in the church worshiping or being around worship and that God to believe that God is going to save your children. So this should be an encouragement to you whose, whose children are not walking in faith that have been baptized. Many have made a profession of faith to pray that God would call them back. We don't know the mind of God on every individual, but we should, be, we should be praying and, and have confidence in Christ about Him giving our heart's desire for our children. Any comments on that or questions? All right. Last part of this, which sometimes gives people heartburn, out of which, talking about the visible church, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Well, I don't need the church. I can worship God on my own. I really worship God best when I'm on the golf course. I had a person tell, tell me that one time. I said, well, 
Yes, you can worship God on the golf course, but you need to be a member of a church and attending regularly. So the corporate worship of God is important, but we don't like the idea that there are people that have never heard and without hearing, hearing without a preacher, or you can't hear without a preacher, that most that don't are not saved and that most of our, uh, if we go back far enough in our families, people were pagans. They weren't believers. There are people, this is why we need to believe in evangelism. Well, if everybody's going to be saved, they don't need the church. Why bother to evangelize? This is why the church believed in evangelism, because they need to hear from a preacher. They can't just get it by osmosis or by God reaching out. Now, God can save in extraordinary circumstances people that are outside of the visible church. But do not think you can get into the kingdom of God if you're not a member of a church. All of y'all here, I can say that definitively for you. If you think you can get into the kingdom of God and not be a member of the church, you're in highly dangerous waters. You need to be a member somewhere. We've had people here. Nobody lately, so I don't think y'all, you may or may not know. But, well, I wanted y'all to delete me from the roles of the church. I'm not going anywhere, but just delete me from the role. Well, what are you doing to yourself when you do that? What's it called? Yeah, you're excommunicating yourself from the church, from God himself. Well, I can worship God. I don't need the church. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you need to be in a fellowship of people. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not in between churches, there are extraordinary circumstances. But it's important for you to say, I need to be involved. I need to be a member and under the authority of a church somewhere. Particularly you young ladies and men, if you're going off somewhere, you're a member here, you need to say, can I find a church somewhere that I can become a member of to be under their authority? We've had many that have gone off to, have gone off to uh, school. And we allow, we've had people that become associate members here, and we've had some of our students become associate members of another church so that they have basically dual, they have two churches that they're under in one sense. But this is important to take, to view the church, the visible church is important. And I'm stressing this here because I'm concerned that people are not valuing the visible church. Well, I don't need it. Well, I can watch on TV. That's not, that's not really, can you watch on TV? Yeah. Have we done that here some? Yeah. But that's not the normal way of worshiping God. And you're really not part of a church. If you're routinely just sitting, sitting watching TV at home, you're not really participating in the body of Christ. We get this? Y'all get that? You're not. Not to say if you're extraordinarily hindered, providentially hindered from going to church, that's one thing. But there are people that we know that are sitting home watching on TV because they, don't, they want to stay in their pajamas or whatever and not come to church. So, I'll, anybody want to comment on that? Yeah. Absolutely. So, the question was, people with their physical infirmity, absolutely. And that's not what we're talking about. There are people that are shut-ins. There are people that, well, let's take Miss Harmon. She's not here anymore, but she's over one block from here, but she can't get here. So, the church goes to her. 
But it's not because she doesn't want to come or she's just saying, well, I don't feel like coming today. She, she can't come. And there are plenty of other people. We have other members that are like that. We've had other people in years past that never came into this building and were members of this church because they were, they were not able to come. So, yes, and the time comes when people can't come. My mother was not able to come in her last year, a couple of years, maybe a year, whatever. So, but yeah, that, that happens. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about people that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s. I don't feel like coming. I'm going to watch on TV on a regular basis. No, that's not, that's not what God would have us to do. Okay? And then, then if they're a member, what should the church be doing? They should be going saying, hey, you're not, you haven't been attending. What's going on? Something we could do to help you. So the church, that's why we need to know who's, who's here, who's not here, what's going on with people. Infants, I'll just make a brief comment. There's a lot of disagreement about are infants saved? I'm going to leave it because there are different views on that. Babies, I think that we in this church, we believe if you're a covenant mom and dad, you're believing mom and dad, have every reason to believe that infants and unborn children that maybe may die before birth and that type of thing are saved. So that's a, that can be a hard one, but this is where it's important for believers. You just, you have a, as a member of the church, have that relationship with God and you need to look to him for those, when those hard things happen. Okay. Moving on. Yes, Scott. Oh, wait, one second. Yes. I'll get back to you. Yes. Well, this was the Commonwealth of Israel. The Commonwealth of Israel was one nation as before under the law. In other words, God gave the law to the Israelites. They were the people of God. There were extraordinary people that became believers by attaching themselves and became Israelites who believed. That's what that's talking about. That's my understanding of it. So, no, it's not like the English or the French or... Okay, so the question... Uh, the question is, it has to do with ongoing with Israel today and the relationship of God to the nation of Israel or, is, or, or Jews today. What I would say is this. There is one church. There are still Jews and Gentiles. There are Messianic Jews, okay? So there may come a time, I think, that it's biblical, and there are different, different degrees. I'm going to give you my view of it. My view of it is there are still Jews, and the nation of Israel is not, as it were, the old covenant Israel. They don't have the sacrifices. They don't have all of the ordinances that the Old Testament church had before the de destruction of the temple, which was erasing that because it had been fulfilled in Christ. But that's not to say that God is not going to revive the nation of Israel as a people. Not everybody, because it's never everybody, right? It's never everybody. It wasn't Jacob and Esau. It was Jacob and not Esau. So there's always been this division of, of those that are the invisible church mixed with those that are not the church within the visible church. And that's true here today. We don't know if everybody here in this room and in this church is saved. That's only that's God's um, that's his hidden his not his hidden knowledge. All we go by is people's profession. That's all we can do. 
So the point about the Jews is that I think people can go too far. I think it's unbiblical to think that there's going to be some kind of reconstitution of Israel as it was prior to the coming of Christ. Because again, there's one church, there's one people of God, and it's Jew and Gentile. So, and that's what, if you look at Romans 9 to 11, understanding Romans 9 to 11, and that's way beyond the scope of this class and my abilities. But yeah, that's been an ongoing discussion, and there are obviously multiple views about what's the context and what's the importance and the relationship of the nation of Israel to God. And I would say that I think it's generally in the Reform community to say that the, the nation of Israel today is not the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It's not, they're not comparable. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. We're just continuing to discuss uh, Jews coming to Christ, becoming Messianic Jews. Yeah, I have to think we have to leave it at that just because I think if you want to know more about that relationship, because it has to do with branches broken off that we might be grafted in. And there's a warning to us that if you don't think you can get broken off, just look at Israel, that I broke it off, that you might be here. So to fear God. But yeah, I think that there's no question any Jew, there are plenty of Messianic Jews. We know some. And so everybody needs to hear the gospel and everybody needs to believe it, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's gone out to all the world. But I think that the Bible does teach that at the, at the very end, there may be a grand revival of the Jewish people. But that doesn't mean everybody then. So, all right. Now, number three. Unto this Catholic visible church, God has given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and does by His own presence and spirit, according to His promise, make them effectual thereunto. And Matthew 28, 19 to 20, the uh, Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all to observe that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. I really like what Williamson, I want to read what Williamson, he made a point about this. I think it's really, really good. He says this about the visible church. Quote, Thus we may say that the true church becomes visible not by an identification of persons, but by an identification of presence, the true church of Christ, that is, his body of elect persons, will manifest itself not by a disclosure that single persons means any one of us are elect, but by a disclosure of certain, listen to this, certain things that true believers will do, even though there be hypocrites mixed in with them, they will profess the true religion and maintain with fidelity the word, sacraments, and discipline required of a true visible church. It is the presence of these activities of elect persons which makes the body of Christ visibly evident. So what it's saying is, we don't all have to be believers, but there's <laughs> believers, when they get together, this is what they do. Does this make sense? It's really an interesting way to look at it. That, so what you do is, well, that church is filled up with hypocrites. Well, hopefully they're not all hypocrites, because if they're really all hypocrites, they're probably not the church. Because if they were all hypocrites, they wouldn't do what 
what Christians do. Does this make sense? Am following me? That. So we get together. So what is, it, what is it as a church? So think about the PCA. What is it that we do as a church? We need to faithfully minister in our worship. Preaching of the Word, prayer, singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We need to pray. We need to baptize. We need to faithfully administer the Lord's Supper. And as a church, we need to practice church discipline. So these are the marks that you get from the New Testament of what the church looks like. And so believers get together, people that profess Christ, and this is what they do. Does that make sense? I think it's, it's pretty interesting. So it's not, just a, it's not a random amalgamation of individuals. It's this corporate body of people that all have a common confession. Anything about that? Comments? No? All right. We'll move on. This Catholic church has been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. And particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure. According to the doctrine of the gospel, is ta- doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. And so this section of the confession deals with what we call the marks of the true church. These are the three primary areas to focus on to determine, am I attending or wanting to join a church that it can be considered a true church? How do I know that this is a true church? And so, particularly for you younger folks or people that are looking for a good church, as you get older and as you may move away and you want to find a church, what do I, what do I look for if I'm going to find a church that's a true church? Now, some people just say, well, I'm in the PCA, so... You know, I'm going to go to a PCA church because I know PCA churches, they adhere to these, these principles. Some people do that. You may go to a place. Sue and I were in Utah. Well, guess what? <laughs> there are any, no, I don't think there are. There are not many. There might be a few. But you may go to an area where there are no PCA churches. And so what you need to do is evaluate, okay, well, what else is around and how do I know that this would be a good church? And you you've, young people that may move off, you may need to think about this. What, how am I going to find a good church? So here's what you ask. Does the church follow faithful biblical doctrine? So how does that, how, what's that constituted? It's primarily the preaching of the Word of God. First of all, and this is what I tell the, the, the guys that have been in jail or that are in jail and getting ready to get out. I said, look, when you get out of jail or prison, you need to, you need to attach yourself. You need to become a member of a good church. What does a good church look like? And this is, I just boil it down to two things for these guys because I'll give you more in a minute. But I said, you need to have one that opens up and preaches out of the Bible and then talks about sin. <laughs> because if they talk about, if they're reach, preaching from the Bible and they're talking about sin, chances are it's probably a pretty good church. Because oftentimes what they're, they're involved with, if they're watching on TV, is health and wealth gospel, prosperity stuff. It's all about you. It's about your best life now. And let's see how you can go out here and you can make it just like these other wealthy guys. That's what they're getting on TBN. They'll tell you that. That's the majority of TBN is your best life now and how to get it. Well, that's not what the, the gospel is. The point is I tell them if they talk, because the thing is you can't talk about sin and your best life now. Really, they don't. They don't really go together as far as a theme, and so and 
go to a church where there's no confession of sin. That's one of the one of the elements of worship is a confession. This is what we do. We have adoration. You know, the call to worship, then we have adoration. We sing a hymn, and then what do we do? We confess sin. We're not what we should have been. We're not what we should be. We recognize that. We repent. And then what do we have? We have a thank you. Assurance of pardon. Yeah. I need people to keep me straight. Assurance of pardon. After that. And so we don't leave people in sin. It's not about beating people over the head. That's not what it's about. But it's about saying, you need a Savior. You're in this church because this, we're, we are sinners in need of grace. This is a hospital for sinners. It's not a place for perfect people. This is one thing I'll just, as, a, as an aside for older folks, the, the whole social church thing, we had a big, everybody attached themselves to a church back in the day because it was the thing to do. And if you wanted to meet people that were up-and-comers in society or in society, it's all, about, it's all about society. It's about me getting something from somebody who's going to St. whatever, right? And so the point is, we're not playing church. We're all hell-bound sinners apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. And we're coming here because we need help, right? Amen, right? Amen. So that's what the church is about. And so what we talk about is, this is why we have a regulative principle of worship. This is why we do what we do. How do we know what we do in church? What, we should, what should the proper elements of church be? Should it be playing soccer? How about a volleyball game? Maybe Super Bowl party. I could make all kinds of ridiculous arguments. <laughs> but the, the Word of God tells us what we should do. And I just went through some of them. Preaching, prayer, singing, sacraments. And those celebrate, you know, those things, those elements. Now, we could debate other ones, but most common churches will agree on these things. If they're not doing it, you need to say, why aren't they doing it? When you're looking for a church, if they're eliminating elements of worship, you better find out why. So we try to be faithful, and this is where having the Westminster Confession, having the catechisms, having standards helps us to stay on the straight and narrow because the elders will tell you, we need to stay on the straight and narrow. We're not, we're not prone to staying on the straight and narrow. We're more likely going off into the field, which often you see in churches around that they've abandoned standards. And so they don't, they don't know what they're doing and why they're doing it, really. Are the sacraments faithfully administered? As instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ and outlined in 1 Corinthians 11, fencing the table. Does a church fence the table? Now, we have men that are coming in here from that have not been in... in uh, church in a long time and we tell them you know you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper until you attach to a church or you talk to the elders because this is a serious thing these sacraments are not lightly taken and they are lightly taken out of the world I can tell you I've been to been to um, services where everybody was just taking communion and I knew some of them weren't believers we're not walking in faith meaning visible believers okay does here's one for you is baptism done according to God's word? We can disagree with the Baptists on how the the element how we how we do baptism, but do we take baptisms seriously? The the one that's probably the biggest um, differentiator is: Does the church faithfully practice discipline of the body? Church discipline. We have to talk. We talk a lot about this when we're examining people for worship or for uh, membership. Officers as well as other members. Officers need to be disciplined. 
We've had situations in the PCA where the officers need to come under discipline for their behavior and their beliefs, both. We've had, we've had trials for, for people that had errant beliefs, and we've had trials for people for their errant behavior. And so it's not just the, the, the general membership, but it's the officers that need to be held. And, member, and officers are actually on a higher standard because of our responsibilities. But it's hard for the church to be, to willing, to be willing to discipline. It's really hard because you have to go to somebody and say, you know, what you're doing is not right. We want to come talk to you. <laughs> but our church, by God's grace, has been doing that. And we haven't always done it perfectly. But you need to be involved with a church that's willing to practice church discipline. Here's um, 1 Corinthians 5. There's a good bit in that particular chapter. But Paul says this, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you, are really, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So the leaven is sinners that are not being disciplined, that are corrupting the church. So if I say, well, you know, Ann McGee can do that. If she's doing that, then I can do it too. If the church doesn't say something about it, picking on Ann. Or if I'm doing something and Ann says, oh, well, Al's doing it, so I can do it. Let's turn it around. See, this is why there's a responsibility of the church to make sure that our members are, are acting in a manner that's worthy of Christ because it besmirches Christ just like David, okay? And then he says this, following on in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12, For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It sounds pretty harsh, but that's Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Now, it's a real church, but they've obviously got problems in the church. Yes? All right, so the, the comment was about people that change churches for, I'm going to call them, not that Ke Reverend DeYoung, celebrity pastors, famous pastors, and that it, it hurts the body that they're leaving from where they could still be fed by a pastor that's not seen as, as either famous or as articulate, knowledgeable, whatever you want to call it. I think that in one sense, let's be honest, we're all sort of prone to that. I mean, but some of us are looking at going to conferences. Who's there? Oh, so-and-so, 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 and so oh, I'm going to that. So, do we, yeah, I think it's, it is really critical that the church and the church is much like a family. And when people switch churches... We lose something. We lose something when people are not here, when they go somewhere else. And so the point is, if you're going to change churches, it ought to be for a pretty good reason. Not that you can never change churches, because people do. But it is, it's not perfect. The church is not perfect. And so every church is going to have imperfections, and the pastor may be more or less articulate, or the church may function, may have better or worse music. All of these kinds of things. But yeah, that's, um, each person has to be guided by their own conscience and the Word of God. But I think we take it much more casually like, well, I'm going to go to this movie as opposed to that movie. Or I'm going to go to this restaurant as opposed to that restaurant. And the church is not like that. It's much more like a family than it is whatever you pick your favorite three restaurants and go to whichever one you want. And pray about it. Pray, where would God have me to serve? Because you're not there just to hear the Word of God. You're here there. 
you're here to worship and you're here to have to have fellowship and to work with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's kind of a different view of what the church is. Yeah, Dean. Yes. He was saying that you can't neglect discipline, that it's that important. Amen. I think it's, it's instructive, really, for us to read in uh, Revelation, when you read about the seven churches. I think the one, that the church in Philadelphia, in Revelation 3. Yeah, Revelation 3, 7. I think it's instructive. Here's what Jesus says. To the, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient, endur- about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar of my temple in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, which is what? New Jerusalem is the church, right? And my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear. So they, they have but little power, but they've kept the word. They haven't denied. So the key, a lot of this is perseverance. Part of what the church is, is persevering, helping you and me and us as a church to persevere. I had someone tell me, it was a minister I highly respected, say, you know, I don't think the church is going to make it through this next few years. The church is going to disappear. And it's like, had to remind him, you know, the church is not going to perish. Jesus said, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Don't be discouraged. Don't let the things happen in the world discourage you, that the church is going to persevere. Philadelphia talks about the perseverance or the challenges that are going to come for them. You need to be confident in, in Christ, confident that He's going to accomplish His good purposes in you. If you're a Christian, you know there's going to be at least one person on earth that believes in Christ, right? Like Elijah, whoa, I'm the only one. Nobody, nobody, no believers left but me. And what does God say? There's 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee, knee to Baal or kissed, his, kissed Him. So He also says this, Matthew 24. It's a great chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. They've been in my class have read through this. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So if you're being hated now, here's Jesus telling you, don't be surprised. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. We see a lot of hate around, amongst, particularly amongst people that have left the church. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So people are going to be trying to lead you astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom 
Here's the, the verse particularly applicable to this passage. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So you can be sure that the gospel is going to be preached to the end, to the very end, and that pray that you're not one of the ones that's deceived. Many will be led astray, not a few, many. So when you see people dropping by the wayside, we see it in our society. We read the statistics. If you're reading anything, you know what's going on. The statistics of people that are professing Christians in the U.S. is declining precipitously. Well, why is that? Well, they're not going to a biblical church. They don't want to go to church. Or if they do, they, they get driven out because they don't want to hear what the church is teaching. But you need to be encouraged. Do not be discouraged. Because God is in control and God is accomplishing His purposes. All right. Last and quickly. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof. So, speaks... Today, we don't really have this as not as big of an issue as back in the day when, when the Protestants broke off from Rome, the uh, Reformers. But it says this, the, in Ephesians chapter 22, 1, 22, I read this earlier, and I'm going to just read the last couple of verses for the sake of time. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. The General Assembly of the PCA is not the head of the church. Bodies of, bodies of believers, we're not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the only head of the church. And so this is where often people like to have leadership. They want people telling them what to do. Well, you have some, somebody who tells you what to do. It's in the Word of God. I'm actually reading from my notes. you got your Bible. That tells you what to do. Is the church doing what it's supposed to be doing? Is it nurturing you? Is it preaching the Word? Is it administering the sacraments? Are we having fellowship together? Is there discipline? It's really not complicated. People want things, people think just because it's complicated, it must be better. Not necessarily, usually not. But God has given us the church. It's building it up. We're the stones of the church. Christ is building it, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the head. And it's going to be one building, one people at the end of the age. Any comments or questions? No? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, so the comment was, when searching for a church, finding one that not, not only has good preaching, but that it has a range of gifts and the way that the elders or whoever the, the leadership is deal with people. And is that fair? Just that it's not all just head. A lot of times churches can be so theologically driven that there's, there's a perceived lack of compassion, lack of um, desire for fellowship, and that it's all about just focused on the worship alone and the, the sermon alone and not anything else, and that you can get unbalanced. I think the point is, I think if I sum it up, is that the importance of having a church having some balance and to be recognizing that you know, you can get out of balance one way or the other. And I think that's a fair, that's a fair warning because we're all sinners and we can all do what we like to do. <laughs> that's just the way it is. And so a lot of people don't like confrontation today particularly. People don't, oh, I don't want to dis- we don't want to talk to so-and-so. Uh, make, make, may, may make them uncomfortable. No, we just have to do what we have to do, but we have to do it lovingly. We have to do it with ca- compassion. 
And we have to be willing to reach out to people. And I would say this, that we're trying and having, having guys come that are from really hard places kind of takes the edge off of some of us where if, when you're dealing with people that have some serious problems, it kind of, it kind of prioritizes what you, what you deal with. You can't deal with everything with a person. And particularly with our society as increasingly broken as it is, you all being well-schooled, hopefully, you will be able to minister to people because you, you have the knowledge. And so take that knowledge and use it for God's glory. And I would say this, too, for y'all that may be younger, that are maybe looking for a church to what Laura said is, you've got the blessing of being able to go online. I mean, back in the day, we didn't have the ability to listen to sermons from some church. And if you're moving to Washington State or you're moving to, you know, Arizona, well, now you can, you can do that. You have the ability to go and listen to the pastor. You can look at who's, who's the leadership on their websites. And so... That can't give you every answer, but it can at least give you a guide as to where to go. Any other comments? Yes. Yes, the comment was made about church discipline, that there are levels of church discipline as opposed to the extreme. It'd be an admonition council. And that, yes, there can be discipline within the members that are not the official discipline. And as elders, we, we meet with people and we give counsel. And so, yeah, there are different levels of that. And that's the way the church should be. And the, the sad thing is, it's like anything else. If you let something go, it only gets worse. And so that's where ministering one to another with love, it's love, right? We love each other. We should love each other in the body. Often we do that more or less, we're more or less uh, effective in that. But you could all pray for the elders that we would be loving elders. Dennis would be a loving pastor. That's what we want to have because we want to care for each other as brethren. We're the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important. It's really important, I think. And you can hold us to that. So, yes. Right, people that are outside the church need the discipline. They don't. They don't know that why some of them are having their problems is they don't have any accountability, and that they don't read the Bible. And I think that that's very true. We have a very unhappy society. Really, it's sad. Look at the statistics are crazy. How unhappy! And it's like, well, yeah, if you're not going to church and you're not sitting under the word and you don't have fellowship amongst people that love each other, of course you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> Shocker. And so. Yes, and discipline is a part of that. And we live in an undisciplined society. Sad but true. People don't want discipline. They want the autonomy. That's the word of the day, right? They want to do what they want to do. Well, you can do that, but it's probably not going to work out well for you. And you reap what you sow. There you go. That's a good one to end on. But on the other hand, let the love of the brethren continue. That's what we want, right? The church is where the love of the brethren is. Yes, last word. The comment was, we do have a, in, Christ, in Christ, we have our best life now. And I think that's very, very true. Amen. That in Christ, your life's not perfect, but you're heading for heaven. And that's what I tell these guys out of jail is, yeah, you know, you're lucky to be alive, and they would all amen that. And that you may have trouble now, but your future is bright, and you can rest in that. You really have the ability to rest in God now and to have that peace that passes all understanding right now and that. Yes, in that respect, it is your best life now. Let's end on that. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you've given us the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, our Savior, our Redeemer, who loved us, Lord, and gave himself for us. We thank you for the church. Help us to be, as a visible church, that which reflects that love of Christ.
the city on the hill, the light on the lampstand, and that we would be faithful to Christ as a church, as individuals, as the body of Christ, one to another, and that we would let our light shine before men, that they may glorify God. And we do pray for those that are lost, that you haven't called yet, that you would do that, and that you would use us in that endeavor. And we thank you for your mercies to us each day, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.